0: Good morning. How are we? Let's stop being friendly, okay? Just sit down, be obedient. Let's get into the Word together. Can we do that? Good luck? It's like you guys love each other or something. What's going on around this joint? It's supposed to be a church, real cold to each other. Come on. I'm, I'm really excited to be here amongst the uninvited. I wasn't invited either, just so you know. No. And I'm pretty excited about it because weddings, I'm sure the Berglund wedding was fantastic. But I'm glad I wasn't there. Are you with me? No, I'm just kidding you. You have a great pastor. He's a dear friend of mine. It's a privilege to be here uh, on this uh, day of independence where we get to celebrate (laughs) freedom-ish. Turns out freedom's a little uh, hard to catch. Would you agree? Even harder to hold. I always think about the forefathers who gave so much. Really, signing the Declaration of Independence was a death sentence. Wow. What do they think now? Is this where it was supposed to go? I could stand here for the next week and talk about how we've lost our freedoms. But I want to talk about what the Lord has to say about freedom. And what he says is it's hard to catch. (laughs) And even harder to keep. Uh, I want to just touch on our financial freedoms that we enjoy in this country-ish. I just stumbled onto this little uh, thing about three days ago, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. This is, this is a Sears Roebuck home. I don't know if you guys know this. Many of you might know this, but they actually shipped you homes through Sears Roebuck. S- they sold over 70,000 homes. A lot of Oakland, when you go down into the avenues and College Avenue are those little bungalows, are Sears Roebuck homes. This home right here is, is called uh, one of the uh, 370 designs. I want to get this right. They came with 30,000 parts on a train weighing 25 tons, with a 75-page manual, and they said the average guy with his friends could build it in 90 days. 90 days. This home sold for 600 bucks. Here's the floor plan that's a long time ago (laughs) but in today's economy $6,700 that's how much 600 bucks was then here it is today 70% of these homes still stand now in 1952 53 55 56 the average American could buy a home cash if he saved every dime he earned for two years Imagine you're 28 years old and you have to move home to mom and dad. Imagine it just for a second. You got a 28 year old kid at home. If he worked an average job and saved his money for two, two and a half years, he could buy a home cash. That's called financial freedom. I don't think it's supposed to be like it is today. That home right here sells for $3.2 million now. You gotta hustle. You gotta what you call work seven days a week, and today we call it and celebrate it as a side hustle in biblical terms it's called get busy making bricks (laughs) and in that our freedoms erode and our cultural freedoms our financial freedoms our freedoms that we enjoy or don't enjoy in this community affect our spiritual freedom that's why God's always been very intimately involved in our physical freedom because it points and, and influences our spiritual freedom I don't think it was supposed to be this way. I think, spiritually speaking, that's part of why Jesus, when he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, paused and wept. He wept because they don't recognize me. But he also wept because it wasn't supposed to go this way. It's not what my father had in mind when he first talked to Abraham. They missed it. And it breaks the father's heart. We take our freedom really serious in this country. God takes it way more serious. Galatians remind us that for the sake of freedom, Christ set us free. That's why he rode into that city on that donkey. Father, uh, what a joy to be here with my dear friend Scott's church, his people. Thanks for the opportunity to open your word together. Thanks for the opportunity we still get to celebrate political freedom. As hard as it is to understand. But teach us a little bit today about the spiritual freedom you've called us all to live in and thrive in and enjoy. What that looks like and how easy it is to let it go for us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that understand, Lord. Use me. Uh, I love this. I love dividing your word and parsing it up and sharing it with people, Lord, but would you do me a favor and just set me aside? Set me aside. These are your people. This is your moment. And um, I pray somebody's life would never be the same. I pray that I'd be able to convey the lessons I've learned over the last four months from you and your word, effectively. In your son's holy name, Jesus the Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Yep, it wasn't supposed to go that way. The voice called down from heaven amongst many other gods in a land called Ur to a guy named Abe. And he said, Abe, leave your father's house, leave all these idols, and just head out to a land that I'll show you. When you get there, I'll ring a bell. He does it. He leaves what's familiar, which is why slavery is so easy to fall into. The familiar is always burdensome. We like to talk about it, complain about it, but it's familiar. He leaves that and follows this unknown God yet unintroduced to mankind. Goes to the land, takes 14 years to get there. Gets to the land, and there's a famine. Sociologists, archaeologists, geologists all recognize that 4,000 years ago, there was about a 70-year drought in the Middle East that was devastating so god says you got here now go to egypt <laughs> it just takes some pictures on the way by goes to egypt lies sells his wife like because he doesn't want to get beat up i mean it's just a mess abe's a mess then he has finally at a, what 90 something years old he has isaac first he sleeps with hagar that's a boo-boo ishmael's got to go away because isaac's here the promised son And oh, when Isaac's about 17, 18, 19 years old, 15 years old, God says, now take your beloved son, your only son, the son I promised you to have, and take him up to Mount Moriah, where we have the Temple Mount today. I want you to kill him. Take his life. The most valuable thing you've ever had in your life, I want you to give it to me. What's Abe say? Let's pray about it. No. Hey, son, get some sticks. Make sure you bring the lighter fluid. We're going to worship. What? See, old Abe is free. Abe trusts an unseen God. New Testament reveals that Abe thought he was going to kill his son, that he was going to actually die. But he also believed that God would raise him from the dead. Crazy thing is, historically, scripturally, God's never raised anybody from the dead at this point. But old Abe has the faith and the freedom To say, you strike the beat, Lord. You slap your bass, I'm going to do the dance. You say left, I go left. You say right, I'm going right. You're God, I'm flesh. It's called freedom. Isaac's born. Isaac doesn't do so much except for make a lot of love and have a lot of sex. That's kind of his little chapter. (laughs) Has two kids. Right? Jacob and Esau. They're twins. Esau's the firstborn. Jacob, as we know, is grabbing the heel of his brother as he's coming out of the womb, trying to pull him back in so he could be firstborn. From the womb, he is known as the striver, the heel grabber, the hustler. I think you would have done real good in 2020. He knows how to get things done. But you reap what you sow. He lied, stole his brother's blessing, even though God was already going to give it to him, stealing stuff he already had, kind of crazy. Pays the price, has to flee for his life. Brother wants to kill him. Gets married once, twice, thrice, four times. Has a bunch of kids. Wrestles with an angel all night long. The angel brings him to a point of his biggest failure. His biggest mistake was when his dying, blind dad, Isaac, says, who are you, son? What's your name? Jacob says, I am Esau. Eyes to his blind, dying dad. Puts on a fur coat. Go ahead and feel me. Smell me, dad. I'm a manly man. The angel of the Lord wrestling all night long with Jacob says, let's go back to the rewind. What's your name before I bless you? Because Jacob wants a real, sincere blessing. I want to know that I'm Okay. I want to know that in your eyes, I got what it takes. And the angel says, well, let's go back to when you were 20 years old. What's your name? And he says it with conviction and passion. I am a deceiver. I'm a liar. I'm a striver. I'm Jacob. And the Lord says, now we're cooking with gas. Now we can work with something. There's something about when we get real with who we really are and are real with our mistakes and our weaknesses and our shortcomings. We don't pretend. You know, before COVID, we used to go to this thing called the mall. And when you get to the mall, especially if you've never been to the mall, you got to look at the map because i got to get some new shoes and i got to find the shoe department. And the first thing we got to find at the mall map is the red dot. Where am I? I don't find the shoes first. Which door did I come in? This this mall's a city big. And the Lord went, now I'm going to call you Israel. You're no longer Jacob, which means one who wrestles with God. And the angel pops his hip out and says, you're going to limp from here on out. You're not going to do it in your strength. You're going to do it in my strength. And old Jacob starts limping for the rest of his life, has his 12 sons. Well, that turned into a big party. They become the 12 tribes of Israel, but one of the brothers actually sells the favorite son, Joseph, into slavery. Did I mention God's sincere and serious about our freedom? This is a total picture of spiritual freedom. Sells the brother into slavery because he had a sharp coat and could interpret dreams and knew it. The brothers hated that. Throws him into a hole. They want to kill him, and one guy says, why would we kill him when we can sell him? sells him to a caravan of slave traders. Caravan ends up in Egypt. We know the story. God's a God of redemption. Jacob is lost and left in prison for years. Taken advantage of by Potiphar's wife, blamed for stuff he didn't do. Total welcome to the planet. But then, he rises up and becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, and Egypt is the most powerful nation on the history of the on the on the planet at that time. And the brothers have to come back for food because Egypt's the only nation in a terrible famine again with food. And there, Joseph redeems his brothers, saves the family. And old Jacob, old, gets to limp his way down from Israel and move into Egypt with his whole family. The family's back together, including little baby Benjamin. Well, you know the story. We just don't listen. To wisdom we're human we're wearing the birthday suit joseph towards the end of his life tells his brothers listen when you move into egypt don't tell the egyptians you're shepherds the egyptians can't stand shepherds they don't know you're shepherds just tell them tell them you're in the sausage business one of the brothers i think it was judah when asked what do you guys do we're shepherds what So they move the whole family out out of downtown Egypt into the field land, about 15 miles out of town. And what do they do there? They populate. Their numbers grow so mass that within 70 years, Egypt freaks out. Joseph and Jacob and everybody's dead and gone now. But you've got this nation there. And they go, we can't have them outvote us. But we need some stuff built. So they fall into 400 years of slavery. 400 years. Our nation's two, 220, 230, something like that. 400 years of making bricks, of slavery. Six days a week, grindstones. Generations came and generations went. All they knew was slavery. Until an 80-year-old stuttering murderer sees a bush on fire. Moses. He hits the scene as a baby when his mom and dad put him in a creek because Pharaoh's killing newborn babies. He rises up in Pharaoh's house. He's educated amongst the best. He's a military champion. He's a leader among leaders. And he realizes I'm a Hebrew and sees a Hebrew taken advantage of and kills a guy. Why? Because he's human. He's wearing the birthday suit. Revenge. Justice in my strength. Well, Moses has to be back out into the wilderness for 40 more years, gets married, has a great little quiet life, and then the bush catches on fire, and God says, uh, go tell Pharaoh, I'm getting ready to clean house. But I stutter, but I can't, but I'm scared, but he's powerful, but they want me for murder. And God says, I know. I am. I am everything you aren't. Fill in the blank. In my strength, we can do everything that I want to do. Nothing you want to do, Moses. So grab that stick and get to whooping some Egypt booty. Can you say that? The pastor's not here. He's at the wedding. Well, we know the ten plagues come down, and on the, la- the night before the last big plague were the firstborn in all of Egypt. Animals, cockroaches, fleas, kids, donk, everything. Firstborn's going to die. God's going to really arrest Pharaoh and give him a shake. And he says, Moses, Moses, gather the people, cook a lamb, and celebrate your freedom. Four weeks ago, five weeks ago, the sequence shocked me. I've never seen it. God commands his people to celebrate before they're free there don't even have blood on the post yet. Tomorrow you're going to have your freedom, have some lamb, get some mint jelly. 1,800 years before mint jelly was even on the planet, have some jelly. Then take the blood and put it on the doorpost because tomorrow you're going to be taking all the jewelry, all the gold, pack up them bags and get on out of slavery. 400 years of it is over. How many people at the dinner table, how many rational thinking Hebrews went, are they crazy? We're still slaves. Well, God said to Moses, Moses tell the people, you do this every year for eternity. You celebrate. You gather people around the table, and you remind them of why you were set free. You tell them the story of redemption. I've always assumed that you've got to be praising God and worshiping God and celebrating and sharing God's goodness when God is being, when your life is clicking on all cylinders the alcoholic at 12 step that comes still drunk i love that guy i love that guy i'm gonna be set free god is gonna set me free preach it bro as long as you can speak it you can start to believe it when we believe it like abe things change forever it's called freedom we're not enslaved to it anymore we celebrate before a miracle Jesus, every one of his miracles where he looks up to heaven, breaks the bread, does it, and thanks God for about what's going to happen. So that happens. They celebrate. Sure enough, firstborns are dead. Hebrews roll out. Red Sea opens. They get over across dry land, all of Pharaoh's army. It's an amazing archaeological undersea excavation happening right now in the Red Sea where there's hundreds of chariots from Egypt that are 4,000 years old right historically where moses and the israelites crossed the red sea unbelievable day 1 they get across the sea all the gold they're dragging it right they got joseph's mummy cuz joseph says on his deathbed when we leave this place make sure you bring my body i don't want to be buried here picture it they got gold they got mummies they got everything and everybody looks around and like, did you bring the food no did you bring the chips No, did you bring the salsa? No, we got nothing. Moses says, we got Yahweh. We have the great I am. And the people went, but I'm hungry. At least when we were making bricks, we had stew. And they start doing the natural thing. See, we latch on to slavery because it's familiar. And God tells them, just go out and pick up what I drop at your feet. First day, happen, all, the, all the manna, which means, what is it? They didn't even know what to call it. It's like snowflakes. It tastes like honey and waffles. No chicken, just waffles. And God says, this will sustain you for as long. This is all you need. It's, what is it? And they went, well, can we have some at least chicken once a month? God says, I'll bring you quail once a week, but this is all you need. I will provide all you need. You don't have to make... Nothing. You don't have to earn nothing. And about four, it took God 40 days-ish to pull the Hebrews out of slavery and about 40 years to pull the slavery out of the Hebrews. We're going to mill around out here with the what is it for 40 years until you guys can get all the brick and all the hustle and all the earning and all the slavery out of your system. There'll be a new generation that knows nothing but freedom because they were born with the what is it. And they will enter the promised land. That's an amazing thing. To pick up what lays at your feet and not to go back to what you knew. Old uh, philosophical uh, theologian named Janice says in one of her top hit songs, Janice Joplin, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. But I think Janice owes Jesus a little royalties because Jesus said it 2,000 years earlier, over and over and over. You can't find your life until you lose it. Drop your cross and pick up my cross. I'm the bread of life. I'm all you need. Lose your life so you find it. Let Die to your old self so you can live. The whole thing is freedom. The whole thing is a release from slavery but we go to the familiar. I'm very good at worrying. I don't know about you. I'm very good at connecting the dots. I'm really good at figuring out what I'm going to do at 3 o'clock this afternoon. And the phone makes it easier to tell me how long is it going to take me to get from here to Alameda, which is my next stop. What do you drive 10 minutes? Getting in front of you. See, Jesus said it best in John 5 when he says, Even I can only do what the Father shows me. You guys are breathing down my neck and giving me all this pressure. You want a mission statement. You got to know about this town and that town. I can only do what the Father lays at my feet. What a way to live. You know, my wife and I, uh, like we all did through COVID, really suffered. We started a little uh, nonprofit, speaking, discipling. I had all the camps lined up, all the speaking lined up. We're going to write and we're going to uh, do podcasting before the podcast world blew up because everybody's sitting home in pajamas making podcasts. And I just kind of went, what is our nonprofit? What are we doing? What is this culture? Where's it going? How's it? Oh, oh. And I just was so, like the pressure went up. Even Jesus went, ah, I can only do what the Lord puts in front of us. We filled a jar at home with uh, all the things that the Lord laid at our feet from the time we met each other. When I met my wife, uh, she was not my wife. She was just a girl with big blonde hair and long beautiful legs, smelt like China rain. (laughs) Oh, she was beautiful. I never wanted to get married, ever. I was in the midst of building a race car to sell, to buy a sailboat to sell weed off of in Santa Cruz. I never wanted to be married. I had seen enough of marriage at my home life and then through my community and all my friends. I liked girls, but I didn't want to get married. She literally fell at my feet. I was renting a bedroom from her brother. Now, my brother-in-law. I couldn't stand him. Within three days, I wanted to move out. Messiest kid I've ever seen in my life still to this day. Doesn't put a lid on nothing. Shampoo, no lid, mayonnaise, nothing. And you can't find the lids. I don't know what he eat in the lids or what. I just, in three days, I gotta get, find a new place to live. She walks in, and I told him that night, and he remembers it, I'm gonna marry your sister. He laughed, because he had lived with me long enough to know that, you're not much of a catch. Well, she fell at my feet. Our first house literally fell at our feet. Literally fell at our feet. I uh, fell into ministry. I, f- I, I uh, was across the street from a little Baptist church with the Oregon plane, and we were uh, I she had come to faith because she knew the Lord. I didn't. Another reason why uh, I wasn't going to marry her fell at our feet. And I got shingles in my ear, I was bedridden, in the best church and my best friend, still to this day, we FaceTime every Thursday night, he lives in Minnesota, is right across the street, I'd lived across the street to that church for seven years, never walked in the door because of the organ. Yeah, can Jesus exist with an organ, you know what I'm saying? And we were in a warehouse type of church here in Pleasanton, as a matter of fact, and the best friendship, the best ministry, and the best season of my life fell at my feet. Literally across the street. I'm pointing through the door, like across the street from where I lived. An empty liquor store that I bought my first beer in in eighth grade, one block away from this church, becomes available. The elders give me $100,000, brand new ponytail-wearing youth pastor, don't know what I'm doing, $100,000 to refurbish this liquor store, and it turns into this thing we call The Rock. Hundreds, hundreds of high school students came to faith within five years. 300 deep every Tuesday night. We had bouncers at the door because we had a special use permit. We couldn't, I mean fell at our feet. Never did I say when I said yes to ministry that I want to rent an empty liquor store. It fell at our feet. My men's ministry at Three Crosses, when I got done in that season of ministry, that fell at my feet. There's no men's ministry here. Would you like to take over these three guys that want to meet on Wednesdays? No problem. If you've been to my men's retreat, you know, I'm not mine, but the Lord's, it's a pretty powerful ministry. Fell at my feet. I never thought once I wanted to be in men's ministry. My wife ran the cafe four. She designed it, developed it, and built it. It's the cafe on the front of Three Crosses Church. For six months, she says, I don't want to work. I don't know how to do a cafe. I don't know anything about it. And the elders kept begging her, senior pastor, it's you. God's placed you on her heart. The best thing that ever happened to her professionally. It pulled her out and into confidence as a woman. Fell at her feet. The beach house where I used to live for three and a half years, $4 million piece of property on a, on the point at Pleasure Point, the point, 270 degrees at, at Monterey Bay, we're in my son's barbershop. By the way, the barbershop fell at our feet. The premier spot on 41st Avenue in Capitola becomes available. And he's cutting hair in my treehouse in Castro Valley, and the gal who owns the property saw his Instagram and said, you need to open a barbershop here. Long story, that's the short of it. Fell at our feet. I'm in the barbershop answer the phone. A guy says, Hey, you look like a nice guy. You want to live in a beach house that my friend owns so that surfers don't squat in it? Fell on our feet. Nothing we ever strived for ever worked out. All the greatest things in life, kids, birth, pregnancy, fell at our feet. So why do I fight it? Pick up. Look at the Lord leaves. Sickness, illness, Best thing. My dad, fifth of vodka a night. My mom, bedridden with MS, never, said, never really spoke since I was 17 years old, really didn't really know her. Dad, mentally ill, drunk, barely worked. The best thing. It formed who I was. It formed the vessel that God gets to operate through. My wife and I both feel like we have a very unfair advantage because of how we were raised and who we can connect with and how God can use it. I used to suck my thumb over it. I didn't have a childhood. I didn't have a dad, only child. My dad was at home but never talked to me. And then when my son's born, what do I do? I don't know how to parent. I wasn't parented. The best things are the things that the Lord, hard and easy, lay at our feet. Lay at our feet. Even Jesus needed things laid at his feet. Number one, if you care that I've learned To enjoy spiritual freedom is drop the bricks. Get out of the brick. Quit earning everything. Oh, what happened? Are we back or no? Did we drop? Oh, we're live. Good. Oh, I went off play. There we go. Drop the bricks. My whole life, I have had two to three jobs at one time. My whole life. I had a paper out at 12. My dad's drunk, not working. I had, why why would I just deliver the Tribune? Young people, newspapers are what we used to get the media from. We used to chop down trees, put them on a truck, put them through a mill and make them really, really thin, and then put black ink all over them that gets all over everywhere. And then we'd put them on a corner, and then 12-year-old kids would put them up, and then throw them through the screen door, and it was like five-day-old news. That's how it used to happen. So... I had the Tribune paper route, Oakland Trib, and then it's the same street as the Chronicle. Why don't I have the Chronicle too? Why would I have, so I got the Chronicle route, then the Daily Review route, and I got a trailer, and then I have the little Bonnie Myers across the street. I can't fold all these papers. I give her half the dough. You fold, I throw and collect. We had 12, 13, Burger King. Why would I open Burger King and not go close Taco Bell? Why would I do a youth ministry and not become a landscape designer? TV shows, by the way, laid at my feet. Laid at my feet. They're on the street that I'm doing a landscape. Can you come do some shows with us? You seem kind of fun. Laid at my feet. Drop the bricks. See, to follow the Lord and trust him in a nonprofit and trust him in now that I'm not in full-time ministry and I don't work and I'm sitting in my son's barbershop selling surfboards, rubs me. It goes against every grain in my body. Do you realize that uh, my credit card company just emailed us, hey, would you uh, update your financial status so we can raise your credit limit? I don't use credit cards. I do, but I pay them off, and they want to raise my limit. And I I said, honey, we can't update our status because they'll take the card. How do you put zero for income? Zero. I haven't earned money, not for over a year. What? Last October, right before COVID, I took a fantastic Israel trip. I've been uh, That was my ninth trip. Four, pe- five, four to five people came to faith. A lot of people we gathered from the barbershop. Just a fantastic. I think I shared a little bit about it last time I was here about a year and a half ago. Fantastic trip. I'm in uh, Israel, in Bethlehem, and uh, we go to uh, an uh, uh, antiquity dealer. This guy who owns the antiquity shop is the grandson of the guy who found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Heavy hitter. He's in Bethlehem. His dad, grandfather, finds the Dead Sea Scrolls. He puts them under the house for 20 years and then trades them for a pair of sandals to a guy in London. Gets totally taken advantage of. So (laughs) London guy sells the scrolls. Now a parchment is considered uh, priceless. Just a parchment of it, priceless. Can't put a price on it. Israel gives the grandson the only antiquity dealership and licensor in all of the country to honor your grandfather. The kid goes on to be a PhD archaeologist. He's just this fantastic guy. We go to his shop. It's locked down. It's like Fort Knox. It's in Bethlehem. There's cameras every six feet. It's fun. We're looking at one of three remaining jars. Israel let them have one jar. Israel has one, and London has one of the uncracked, broken jars. And here it is right in front of us. And... My wife and I are hanging our hats at this time because we see we're not making money. We're having to trust the Lord in a whole new way. Lays the Isaiah verse of when Isaiah, uh, uh, Elijah, excuse me, Isaiah. Elijah, when he goes to the widow's house and he says, make me some bread, woman. And she says, I, t- I can't. There's just a little bit of olive oil. And if I feed you, my son and I will die. And he says, don't worry. The olive oil won't fall out, won't run out. So we bank on that. The end of this afternoon, the guy pulls me aside and says, Mark, I want to give you a gift. I'm not into gifts. I'm downsizing. I'm moving to this little teeny beach house. I can't handle stuff. And he goes, no, it's it's a really just kind of a, I I think it fits in your pocket. It's a little olive oil jar from the time of Elijah, 3,200, 3,400 years old. We know because it's black clay, and it only happens in the Canaanite region of where he was when the widow was there. My wife and I look at each other. What the heck? And it's the olive oil jar And God went, don't forget, Bible boy, it ain't going to run out. You just keep on your path and pick up what I lay at your feet. Pick up, you got to drop the bricks. I was a striver. I had to wrestle with the angel, and I had to understand that my identity doesn't rest on what I earn or my portfolio. My identity lies with my relationship with Christ. And Christ says, if you love me, you do what I say. I can tell the difference between the sheep and the goats because the sheep, they listen to me. Listen, Jonah heard the voice of God, as did Peter in the same town of Joppa. Jonah heard him but went the opposite way. Peter listened and did what God said. That's how I can tell. It's not how we pray or how we talk or what kind of magic. It's do we listen and and obey God or do we not? The fact that we're sinners is of, duh, duh, everything is sin. Everything that falls short of us uh, in the presence of God is sin. It's slavery. Everything that's outside. We, my prayers were, Lord, this is what I want to do this week and next week, and would you bless it? Not, what are you doing? What's my role in what you're doing? It's called Freedom. When I'm praying for him to be the genie and give me supernatural abilities and what my agenda is, that's not, that's bondage. There's no freedom in that. Drop your brick. Second thing is set a table. Set your table. Uh, I have a car. I had a car, 15 years old, I buy that car. It's an old 61 bug, ragtop. I'm walking to Burger King. I got to get out of my house. I left my house at 15. I see this crappy car. My friends are driving Camaros. They're driving Corvettes. They're driving all these cool cars, and I'm in this old jalopy bug. But I have to get out of the house. It's all the money I had. I overpaid for the car as well. I start to build the car. I start to work on the car, and I, I actually, this is when I meet my wife, and then this is the crew I ran with. These are the guys that came by to smoke a little weed and smoke a little cigars with me and help me work on the car. And the guy, uh, Right behind me, I'm the guy in the gray sweatshirt, his name is Big G, Gary, looks like Chris Okasik from the cars, actually hit on my wife the night I met her. He wanted to go out with her, and I said, back off, Ben, this this girl's mine. He loved the car. I ended up building the car, painting the car, and he ends up buying the car, painted. It's fantastic. Actually, I have a little picture of it. I bought it for $1,200. I should have paid 6 I got taken advantage of. Thank you for asking. (laughs) What's your name? Jim, I'm so glad you're here. I should have went to a dealer that sold those things. 67 was the best year. I buy a a bug and I give it to my friend Gary. I say, Gary, you put the thing together. I'm pursuing this woman. Gary, uh, a year later, gets a brain tumor. Takes the car home to pieces right here in Pleasanton, to his mom and dad, who he moved out of the house at 13. Didn't like him. Moves him home with the car. Three years struggling with brain tumors. He they put the car together as a family and fall in love with each other and come together. Their uh, mom and dad are followers of Christ. Gary accepts the Lord. Dies. This is 30 years ago. Mom and dad show the car here locally in Set Pleasanton for 15 years. She calls me January. And says, "Mark, I don't know if you remember me, but we still have the bug. Do you want the car back? Did I mention the best things in life are laid at our feet? Are you kidding me? I call my wife. I said, "Honey, you can't believe what's coming home." <laughs> she says, "Don't you want to pray about it? Why? It's at our feet. We drive to Placerville, tow it home. You know what this has done? All these guys saw it on my Instagram. Can we come see the bug? It's opened up so much ministry. Remember Elijah's in the cave sucking his thumb, and the Lord, and he wants to kill himself. He just kills the 400 prophets. Jezebel wants to take his life. He runs, and the Lord says, what are you doing here? Go back the way you came. What are you doing? I got all kinds of stuff for you left to do. He says, but I'm tired. I'm old. Welcome to the planet, says God. I am going back into this community. Bobby, the guy with the curly hair, just lost his dad uh, 10 days ago. He's hurt. He's tore up. He's bugged. But he's back in our life over this car. Set the table. The car is a table for us. We are starting this thing at our home. It's called The Farm. This coming Saturday night, it's the first uh, event, and I mailed out these invitations all to these car guys, all to the people I meet in the barbershop, all to some people that came to faith in Israel, and to some of the people that God showed us that need to be at the table, and we're going to sit, and we're going to eat, and we're going to break bread, and we're going to celebrate what God's doing among us. 80% of the people don't even know who God is. I might have three people sitting at that table. We have 40 chairs and tables that we hope to get. We don't even have tables and chairs because we just moved into the house two months ago. It's called faith. It's called Abraham, go. I'll show you the tables and chairs. So we're going to set a literal table, and we're going to see what God's going to do all summer with these people who don't even know who God is, and it's called freedom. My wife and I woke up yesterday morning and go, what if two people come? He said, it'll be the best party ever, because I don't like people too much. At the house, they make a mess. They drop stuff all over the place. But my suspicion is God doesn't waste anything, and the whole thing's going to take off all summer. Drop your bricks. Make a set of table and then look for the bunnies. Look for the bunnies. My friend who discipled me, my best friend, just went home to be with the Lord about a year ago. Ron Ritchie, uh, great discipler, great pastor of, with Ray Steadman at across the bay. And uh, he always used to say, look for the bunnies. I look for them. The Spirit will just show you. I'm working with this person. I'm just working with this guy. I'm working with this guy. I was a bunny in his life. He singled me out at a pastor's conference and said, let's have lunch. And a year later, I go, why did you pick me? And he goes, you popped your head up. The Lord, the Holy Spirit said right here, look for the bunnies. Drop your bricks, set a table, and look for the bunnies. I'm sitting in front of my son's barbershop. My son owns a luxury barbershop in Santa Cruz, which is kind of bizarre because there's a lot of hippies in Santa Cruz. And he wanted to, 23 years old, he wanted to do it. I run the surf shop because it's a half barbershop, half surf shop. I run the surfboard sales, but pretty much I just hang out and hang out with my son and watch him live his dreams. It's it's fantastic. In the midst of that, people have been very inspired by a father-son relationship. I didn't have a father. My dad actually pheasant hunted where my son's barbershop is. Got his third DUI one block from the barbershop in 1956. And the judge said either go to army or jail. You choose. He went to the army. Came back, got my mom pregnant, had to marry her, and then the rest is hell. This is where my son's barbershop is. I am sitting out front Two weeks ago, and a guy comes up, and he's got his number from the Betty's Burgers next door, and he comes up, and he says, hey, you're, you're Elias' dad. Yeah, I have a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old. You got any tricks? I just can't get over you guys. And I go, what's your story? And he says, I'm a vet. Went to the uh, first uh, uh, Kuwait invasion. My dad hated me. I can't stand that, and he, like, a whole, like language just erupted from this guy. And now I'm homeschooling my kids, and I'm trying to figure out how to raise two good boys, and I'm watching your son, and what can you tell me? This bunny punched me in the face. I didn't even have to, and I'm like, what, Lord? Name's Nathan. And I kind of don't like Nathan because he just threw his dad completely under the bus, and the dad's probably just doing the best the dad can do. And I'm going, eh. And he's like, starts shaking and sweating all over his, and I'm going, wow, dude, don't flash on me. So I'm kind of like, Whoa. And I went, the Lord went, and I'm not this kind of guy. I'm not an evangelist. I don't just like drop the Jesus bomb on people. I really don't. I gave my son this chess set when he was four years old. He beat me at chess. The chess set sits in the barbershop. I said, when you beat me at chess, I'll buy you your own set. I thought it would take me 10, 15 years. I'm a pretty good chess set player, chess player. He beats me. I give him the chess set and I have a plaque put on it. Never forget, son, in life and in chess. Never take your eyes off the king. Hebrews 12.1. And the Lord says, tell him that. I went well, Nathan. I don't know how about your spiritual belief is, but I gave my son this chess set, and and, and and my son got married six weeks ago, and I re-gave him and re-gifted him the chess set with a second plaque that says, never forget, Elias, in life and in chess. Never take your eyes off the king. And guard your queen. I was giving a speech. I was the best man. How cool was that? I stood there in the backyard of the farm. The Lord laid at our feet. Because I mentioned, I don't work. And I don't have money. How do we get a two and a half acre farm in Santa Cruz? Talk it over with God. I don't know. I'm standing in the meadow. And I said, when you were born, son, and I'm telling Nathan this story. When you were born, son, I took you home from the hospital and realized I wasn't raised by a man, and I got to form a man, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm driving blind. You scared the heck out of me. And then you'd go wobbly because the teenager's years suck. You went wobbly, and I thought it reflected upon my parenting skills. You came back to sense Then I went wobbly because I'm a man, and I'm wearing the birthday suit, and I'm angry because I'm tired of striving. And I never was sure if I was going to be the hinge or not. Generations of sin in my life and and, and disruption and alcoholism and dysfunction in my family tree. And I wanted to be the hinge. And today, I'm re gifting the chess set because now I know I was the hinge. You be the door, you build your house. I told Nathan that. He's crying like a baby. He says, Man, I got to get away from you. I haven't cried in years. He's like this, he's pacing. You gonna be here tomorrow? I'm going now because I gotta go cry. My son got up and wept in my arms in front of his whole wedding party to the point of awkward. Drop your bricks. Set your table. My son's table is the barbershop. The people he meets and he influences. Nick Draybeck hunts and fishes here. His table's in the duck blind in the mud in the freezing cold. I don't get it. It's a table. His fishing boat, it's a table. The table is the moment Ephesians 2.10 were masterpieces, all created for great moments of time so that God can do his work through us if we listen, if we have eyes to see, if we're available to people who annoy us and sweat all over us and curse over us. Nathan's going to be invited to the table. He's going to sit in my backyard. I think that's how it was supposed to be. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. The people gathered. They broke bread every day at the table. And the people in the community were in awe over them. And what they did was praise God and follow the apostles' directions because they were reforming a New Testament, a New Covenant community. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being resurrected to life, brought to life. We call it saved. It's called freedom. Romans 6.16 says this. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness, freedom, and right living. Galatians says this, so good. Uh, We know this one's memorized. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in the yoke of slavery. The ESV, because I know you guys love this translation, says, therefore, uh, uh, for, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, in that freedom and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Freedom is hard to catch, really hard to catch and harder to keep when we hold the bricks. When we hold the bricks. And now, with the new economy, plywood went from $20 to $128 a sheet. We get to grow the straw that we get to mix into the bricks, to just buy a sheet of plywood. And I think it's hilarious, because the church, some of us will go home and complain about it. Which kingdom do we serve? I'm gonna meet people who are complaining about the price of plywood, and lead them to freedom. And be the example. Yeah, it's a bummer. All the money's going to go away at some point. Have you seen what happened to Egypt? I've been there. It's a toilet. It's never recovered from, from Moses. <laughs> Great people, it's never recovered. I've been to Ephesus. I've been to the Roman Empire. It's not there anymore. But God's kingdom is the everlasting kingdom. And I love this country and everything we, well, most things we stand for. Most things. It's the greatest country in the history of civilization in my opinion, but boy, oh boy, is it getting wobbly, and I think God's going, it's about time because my kingdom is the only kingdom that matters. Exodus chapter 25, verse 30, God is telling Moses, here's how you set up the tabernacle. You be sure and put a table, and on that table, you put the jar of what is it? The manna to remind people to pick up what I lay at their feet, and to set a table. What does Jesus say in the upper room? Every time you come together. At his table. The last table he sat at. You break this bread and you remember. I'm the bread of life. And that's what the people did. For 325 years. Until. The institution. Religion. Father. I am so privileged. To be able to attempt this thing called freedom. I love you. I don't understand you. I, I'm I, starting to hear you. May I have the courage to listen to you. And every time, today, three times, I wanted to pick up a brick, Lord. Forgive me. I wanted to go back to the familiar. Keep me in the wonder. Keep me in your mystery. Keep me on the front edge. Keep me looking up to you and down for what you're laying at my feet. And Father, may I have the courage to not only drop my bricks, but a set a table everywhere I go. And look for the bunnies. And look for the bunnies. Turns out your son Jesus was spot on and Janice was a copy. But full of truth. Freedom's another word for nothing left to lose. Lord, there is no death. There is no sin in your eyes. You look upon us as Your beloved, your one and only, cleansed and redeemed. And why do we consistently identify ourselves with our brokenness? You are our Redeemer. We are your masterpiece, created for great moments. We are your ambassadors, your priests of a new nation, your ministers of a new covenant, and ministers of reconciliation. That's who we are. And may we step out in that and step into our freedom, and may we have the courage to let people know why we're free. Just by loving him. Just by loving him. Nathan knows he's not unlovable. Or not lovable. But you loved him. You ministered to him. Because for a moment of my month, I was available. May this be our lifestyle. As Paul says, you are free to live as Christ lived. Everything else is slavery. Slavery. In your son's holy name, that Christ, Jesus, whom we worship, it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.